It is so good to have the opportunity to be with you folks here again. It's been something I've been looking forward to for a while. It, uh, we had a little change of plans that uh, made it not very feasible for me to come back this fall for the gospel meeting I was scheduled to hold, but this, uh, this, this gives us an opportunity to be together again before we, uh, my wife and I take off for Eastern Europe. You see, a, you see a picture like this, and you might have a lot of images come to mind. Some of the ladies are probably looking at this thinking, oh, what a beautiful bride. Some of the dads are looking at that thinking, oh man, how much did that cost? But I, I, I saw this picture, this particular picture, in connection with an article that I read three or four weeks ago. And the interesting thing to me about the article was that there, there was a word in the title of the article that I, I didn't know. And now you're looking at me, listening to my accent, thinking, well, there are probably lots of words and lots of titles that boy doesn't know. But, but this was something that was really quite different and interesting for me. It was a, a word called sologamy. Anybody besides Levi know what the word sologamy means? We talked about that at breakfast this morning. Sologamy. I did not know what that word meant, and so I found a definition. Sologamy is self-marriage. It is a symbolic ceremony where you commit to maintaining a meaningful, deep, and loving relationship with yourself. It is a commitment to yourself and not necessarily to singledom or celibacy. Had anybody ever heard of that before? And and that is a thing. And it tells us something about our society. So I'm still kind of trying to process this. And then within a couple of hours, I came across another article that seemed to be totally unrelated. But I think there is a connection. This is an article that was talking about what has happened among churches of Christ since 1990. And the statistics released by a a publication called the Christian Chronicle said that uh, membership in churches of Christ has decreased by 14% by 1990. And that approximately... Uh, 9 or 10% of of groups that self-identify as churches of Christ have closed the doors since 1990. And that was a trend that had already begun before this whole... Did y'all know there's a thing called COVID for a little while? That was something that predates the whole COVID thing. This trend was already taking place at that point. And I'm looking at these two articles and I'm thinking, well, you know, is there any connection between these things, and I'm thinking, yeah, there is a connection between these things, and it is this whole concept of community. Now, I'm glad I have my PowerPoint presentation this morning for several different reasons. One reason I'm glad I have my presentation is I have visual proof that I didn't just sit there during Reagan's class, jot down a few notes, and decide to get up and and reteach or re-preach the same thing. But there is going to be a lot of similarities in what I talk about this morning and what Reagan spent the first couple of minutes, his introduction to his introduction to his class talking about this morning. And it is that idea, that idea of community and how we feel about community. Well, let's begin by thinking about what community is. The idea of community is it's a distinct segment within the population where the members identify with each other as opposed to those outside, brought together by common. Hmm, common community, see some sort of connection there? Brought together by by common interests and activities. And that idea of community is something that is a Creator's design. We see that in the very fact that we serve a, a, a triunal God. 
And throughout the Bible from the very beginning, there is that emphasis on the relationship that exists between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Existing together in community. But beyond that is God has created, well, man, man and woman in the garden. We see from Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, that, that God is interacting with mankind within the garden. And God created for man a companion as a basis for community. And so we see from the very beginning that God realized that, that, that man made in his image needed to have a relationship with that relationship with others. But as we look at the world around us, we see that, that, that the sense of community has gotten all messed up. And at the very heart of that is sin. Because sin has created barriers. Sin creates barriers, uh, well, between man and God. Sin creates barriers between, between people. And a part of that is, is a fear and mistrust that leads to isolation. Remember the reaction of Adam and Eve in the garden having their eyes open? They wanted to try to hide from God. What more fundamental disruption could there be of, of that sense of community than I want, to hide from, I want to hide from the one that I've been communicating with? And then as the discussion ensues there about you know who's to blame for all of this and and you know Adam wants to Adam wants to to, to, to blame Eve this woman that, you, that that well by the way God you're the one that gave her to me you have this disruption that is taking place there sin causes that and then the idea with Cain Cain is an outcast one part of that whole process and his condemnation that we may not appreciate is that, well, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 14, Cain says, Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and away from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. That verse is so incredibly rich with irony. I would just love to talk more about it, but, I, but, but I'll wait till the, the devotional tonight. The, the disruption that, that he feels. No, I, I'm driven out of the presence of God. I'm, I'm driven away from everybody else. He feels that loss of relationship that is a, a consequence of what he's done. And since that time, though, we are designed for community, community is something that has been disappearing. Now, why is that the case? That's the case for a lot of reasons. Uh, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, uh, uh, 2019, People change jobs 12 times in their, in their working life. Now that seems a little strange, doesn't it? Uh, you know, if to, uh, when I was coming along, you grow up somewhere, you, you, you turn 18, you graduate from high school, you get, a, you know, you, you get your union card and you go down to, you go down to the factory and, and start working and Bruce Springsteen could turn that into a song. Uh, people move 11.7 times in their life. Now, you know, I, I'm not OCD, but that point seven kind of hung me up until I figured out that's probably the time you forgot and left one of the kids behind. <laughs> you, you move 11.7 times in your life. How much disruption does that bring? You know, I, I, I've always got a new job. I'm always living in a different place. It kind of reminds me a bit of uh, what my mom said about my older siblings one time. Uh, I, I'm an Air Force brat, if you know what that idea means. My dad was in three wars lived all over the place. And my mom said one time that my oldest two brothers 
stop trying to learn the names of the other kids in their classes because they got shifted around so much. That's kind of what the world is like now. And technology means that, that, that we don't have to see people. My middle brother recently got transferred with his, uh, with his work to, to Manhattan. And he said, you know, that they wanted him up there in the corporate office so he would be closer to everything. But he said, you know, each one of us sits in our office and we have Zoom meetings with the people that are in the office next door. And some people just absolutely love that. Uh, and for some people it's a choice. Some people enjoy not having to communicate with other people. I was talking about that. I taught on campus uh, at, at FC last fall. And I was talking to my classes. I was asking, I was asking the kids in the classes. I'm saying, do, do any of you know any kids your age that really enjoyed the, the COVID thing because it gave them an excuse to be socially distanced and not communicate with other people and wear a mask? They're like, oh yeah, we know all kinds of people like that. There are some people that simply absolutely enjoy not having to be around anybody, not talking to anybody. That is a tragedy. It is such a tragedy in our, our society as a whole that uh, Robert Putman wrote an interesting book about this that includes a lot of pretty serious uh, sociological research called Bowling Alone. And the bottom line in this book is he chronicles the fact that, that people are less involved in civic organizations, they're less involved in religious organizations. They're less involved in doing anything with anybody. And the reason he chose the title Bowling Alone was, and some of you, I don't know, we have any bowlers out here, anybody that was ever in a bowling league or did? I think that may be, you know, that, 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 that's not necessarily this area maybe or where I grew up. But a lot of places are like that, I know. You do that because it's, it's an opportunity to, to be together with other people. It's a social activity. You know, where I grew up, it was folks getting together on Friday night to play a card game called Rook. Anybody ever heard of a card game called Rook? You get together on Friday night and play Rook. People don't do that. People had rather choose leisure activities and hobbies where they can just do it by themselves and not have to, not have to be with anybody, communicate with anybody, be around anybody. And folks, that is something that is absolutely it's bad. It's against God's design. It's personally destructive. It takes us off task of, of the synergy that we can bring together to get things done together. We need community. And just in case we don't appreciate why that is the case, I want to talk about, I want to talk about four reasons why we do from passages of Scripture that will emphasize the importance of the, the community uh, and why we need community. And I think the, the, this showed up on, the, on the, the marker board just a little bit ago. But it begins with the idea of wisdom. Wisdom comes from within good community. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Now go back and look at this, and one of the things to appreciate about this is, is the parallelism here. We look at what corresponds to, uh, in the first part of the verse to the, what, uh, to the second part of the verse, Whoever walks, what's that talking about? We look at the parallel there. You've got it, it, it means to become the companion of. The person you are walking with is the person you are the companion with. If we walk with the wise as opposed to the fool, we will become wise as opposed to suffering harm. Now that shows us how important this companionship is. It shows us how important this wisdom is because it's going to keep us out of trouble. 
And part of that wisdom that's going to keep us out of trouble comes from this idea of community. So it's talking about this ongoing relationship we have. It's the people that we hang out with. It's the relationships that we have, whether positive or negative. The influence that that has on our lives. And I think about that, I remember a thing from my childhood. Now I know we have some goat folks here, and, and you know, goats are wonderful creatures. But when you think about goats, don't think about the one that I heard about uh, a couple of days ago that sold at an auction for $36,000. Think about, uh, think about uh, Appalachian, hillbilly, redneck, You've got my background there. Think about that kind of goat. And I remember uh, my, my, my family and I, I was probably six or seven years old, my family and I had gone over between Sunday morning services and Sunday evening services to visit with some people there, and they had goats, and it was great. And I spent all afternoon playing with the goats. And we got back to services that night, and my mom is sitting there, and she's going, and she looked at my dad and said, Howard, something stinks. She said, it smells like a goat. And my dad started laughing and said he spent all afternoon wrestling with him. What did you expect him to smell like? We run with the goats. We're going to smell like goats. We make choices in our life and that will have a profound influence on every aspect of our life. What the writer of Proverbs here is saying is make wise choices. Be with wise people and they're going to rub off on you. You're going to start to act like they do. You're going to start to think like they do. And that's going to give you wisdom. That's going to keep you out of trouble. And we know know this from other relationships, right? Uh, You think about how people associate to learn things. Now, I have no idea why I use the word angler here. Folks that like to fish... (laughs) In Florida, where I am, we have the most amazing largemouth bass opportunities there. We do some serious fishing down there where I am. And guys like to get together and talk about it. You get to the bait shop just about sunrise, just before sunrise, and guys aren't just in there buying their bait. They're standing around talking. Now, they're not going to give away where their honey hole is, but still, there are other things they're going to talk about because they're sharing ideas. Uh, people that like to, whatever, whatever it is, woodworkers talk about you know, what they're going to build and, and, and what kind of blade they're using to, to make this cut and put, thing, put things together. Artists, sports, whatever. We realize as we come together and talk about these things, we learn and we grow from each other. And I hope we realize that that wisdom is available. One, one just tiny sliver of of text that talks about this wisdom being available is addresses older women in Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verse 3, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to, to love their husbands and their children. One example of it. That wisdom is there. That wisdom is available. I give kids some grief sometimes. I was talking to a, a, a junior high age class not too long ago, and I said, think about it. And I said it with a smile so I can get away with it. I, I, said, I said, think about it. You've got some serious problem in your life, something you absolutely can't sort out. You want advice, so what do you do? You go find another 14-year-old that is absolutely as clueless as you are. How much good does that do? 
Folks, wisdom is out there. Wisdom is available. Wisdom is available in community. Now, you know, I don't see any, but I suspect there's some older women in this congregation. And these older women are possessors of, of, of wisdom. They've been there. Some of them have had to learn to love husbands that are no more lovable than your husband. They can teach you how to do that. That wisdom is there. That wisdom is available in community. But a second thing that the Scriptures talk about that we get from community is, uh, well, it's sharpening. Proverbs 27, verse 17 says, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. I wish I could demonstrate that TSA just gets all picky when you try to show up with a knife and a carry-on, so I, I, I can't demonstrate this, this, this visually here with, with a prop. So I'll just ask this question. How long will it take to sharpen a knife by just waving it around in the air? <laughs> you know, I got this knife I want to sharpen, and I'm just, anybody here know how to sharpen a knife? Sometimes I talk to people that, that you know, so if I mention sharpening a knife, they're like, wow, there, there's, something, there's something user serviceable about a knife. Never crossed their mind. They can actually sharpen a knife. That, uh, yeah, how, how do you do that? What is required to sharpen a knife? Contact, friction, interaction? All of that's going on in the process of sharpening a knife. The writer of that proverb says, as iron sharpens iron. That's what we're able to do with each other, but that requires contact. Sometimes that requires friction. It, it, it definitely involves uh, interaction. But as Rayburn said in his uh, comments about this, sharpens is used figuratively here to mean to make or to cause a person to be keen in perception, quick-witted or full of energy. That's what we're able to do for each other. As we come together, we're able to, to, to challenge, to question, to motivate, to encourage each other. There is in political circles right now an accusation that goes around very often Someone, you know, you, you take a position on some, uh, something and people say, oh, you, you exist in an echo chamber. Echo chamber, what is that? Well, you know, one thing, for, for some people, <laughs> the only echo they hear is their own voice because they don't ever talk to anybody. That's not really what that's about. The idea of an echo chamber is we, we only talk to people who agree with us, who are going to affirm us in everything we say and do. And so we, we never get a, a different opinion. We never get a different perspective on things. And that is something that is, that, that, that's really, really unfortunate. Because sometimes we need somebody that's going to push us. We need somebody that's going to motivate us. We need somebody that's going to call us out. We need somebody to challenge us. We, uh, you know, we're, we're so blessed. We're, we're so blessed with people that are positive encouragements in our life, I hope. And if we don't have that kind of people, we're just not associating with the right people and often enough. But we need people that give us grief. I, I, I've come to learn to pray to God, and I, I, I thank God regularly. I say thank you so much for the people that, that encourage me and confirm me. And I also say thank you for the people that kick me in the backside. And God understands metaphors, so He knows what I'm talking about. We need, we need that. We need people who are going to call us out and challenge us and make us think. We need people who, who care enough about us to do that. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, reference this morning. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, 
not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. We stir one another up. We motivate each other. We challenge each other. We think about how to do that. We are the recipients of that, but we also produce that kind of encouragement as well. Because we need, well, we need accountability. Did you know, did you know that you can go to school and get certified to become an accountability coach? Oh, I actually have one in my family. I actually have somebody in my family that is certified to be an accountability coach. For those of you that know my family well, you can probably guess which one that is. The idea of an accountability coach, what is this idea of accountability? It's something that's going to help us assess and, and modify our behavior. It's somebody that's going to help us focus on our goals. It's somebody that's going to help motivate us. It's somebody who's going to be able to, well, they're going to be able to, to sniff out our excuses and our shifting blame and, and procrastinating here. We need that. We need somebody who's going to say, hey, that's a great idea. But we also need somebody that's going to say, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. We need somebody to say, hey, I thought you told me you were going to stop eating four meals a day. We need somebody that said, hey, I expected to see you at the gym at 6.30 this morning. We need somebody that can say, hey, but I, I, I thought we agreed we were going to, I thought we agreed we were going to start meeting once a week to have breakfast and pray together. I thought we had agreed that next quarter we were going to team teach this class together. We need somebody to hold us to our commitments. We need somebody, well, sometimes what we need is just somebody to give us a little, somebody to give us a little nudge. Somebody to, 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 to push us forward just, just a little bit. And it is that idea of, of one another. How many times do we see that in the Scriptures, that expression, one another? Uh, some of you can probably answer that. We see it a whole lot. I need somebody to do it with me. Paul would say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, Therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So it says, yeah, a lot of great stuff going on, but, but, but keep doing that. And that's part of the whole idea as, as he writes to the church in Thessalonica about excelling. Do it. Keep doing it. Do it even better. How often do we, do we have these things in our lives where we need somebody to do it with us? It, there, I, I saw a commercial the other day. I have no idea what the product was, which probably means the commercial failed. But I know it was talking about a diet program. And a guy was talking about how he, he tried to lose weight and tried to lose weight and tried to lose weight and he never could. But then his wife got on the diet with him. And between the two of them, according to the commercial, they'd lost like 726 pounds. And, and I thought, you know, and again, I have no idea what diet it is, so don't ask. And I thought, but it really works that way a lot, doesn't it? How many times have, you know, somebody, well, I'm going to go on a diet, is it kind of miserable if you're the only one in the family that's not eating, I don't know much about diets, not eating something? Or somebody decides they're going to start running. And they want to find somebody to start running with them. Or I know people that cannot go to the gym unless there's somebody to go that, that, that's going to go with them. How many areas in our life kind of work like that? Where we need somebody to be, to be with us. That text that we just looked at, 
Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Stirring up one another, encouraging one another. And I'm going to throw this in a bit gratuitously because this is here in the text. And it kind of fits. If you look at these verses together, and we're, we're pretty familiar with these verses, I think, but maybe there's something we're missing. There's more to the neglect that is described in verse 25 than just failing to, to sneak in the door at the very last minute, sit in the very back, and as soon as the final amen is said, jump up and run out. There's more to the neglect there. Not neglecting to meet together. There is more to being together in this text than just being physically present in the same auditorium for a few minutes. Part of that meeting together is recognizing the opportunity and the responsibility to encourage one another while we're there. And if I'm not doing that, then I'm neglecting the coming together, even if I'm spending a few minutes sitting inside the auditorium with other people. That is a part of community. The role that we play in stirring one another up based on consideration we have given that responsibility and encouraging each other. And then, this idea, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, that two are better than one because of the support and the strength that's there. We read this text uh, uh, in, in class just a few minutes ago. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fail, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they will keep warm, but how can someone keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. I think probably the first seven or eight times in my life, that's an exaggeration, but the first several times in my life I ever heard this passage read, it was at a wedding. This is a wedding text, right? This is just talking about marriage. But no, it's not. It's talking about life. It's talking about community. It's talking about relationship. It is talking about the importance of being together and and standing together. And the strength that comes from that. It talks about the opportunity, the responsibility that we have to bear one another's burdens. And as we bear one another's burdens, so fulfilling the law of Christ. Community. We need community. Because community provides us with wisdom, with sharpening, with accountability. It provides us with support. Because at the end of the day, we all need each other. God knew that. God knew that. God designed us that way. God expects us to appreciate that. He expects us to function in that that community, that relationship that first and foremost we need is our, our, our communion with our Creator. It may be that there's somebody in the audience this morning who has, who's not a child of God. You have not come into that relationship. This would be a great time to change that. If you realize who Jesus is and that He died, he died for you, if you're willing to Turn away from your sins. That's what got you into the messes to begin with. 
confess your faith in Jesus and be baptized to have, have your sins washed away. I absolutely guarantee you the folks here would love to help you do that. For those of us who are Christians, there may be something in our life that's just not, that's not where it needs to be. This would be an absolutely wonderful time to, to fix that, to change that. And it may be that you need your, your, your spiritual community here praying with you and for you. This would be a wonderful time to do that as well. If you have a spiritual need, the folks here can help you with it. Won't you let it be known while we stand and sing the song that's been announced?